everyone. Welcome to Historically Haunted. My name is Ariel, and thank you all so much for listening to the show. May I be the first to wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy Holidays. This is my second Christmas episode that I have made, so I'm really excited that I'm still around for another Christmas episode. I did not get many ghost stories this year, but that's okay. I understand you guys have a lot going on and everything like that, so don't worry about it. But to those of you who did send them my way, thank you guys so much for that. If you follow me on Facebook and Instagram, you would know that my grandfather was recently in the hospital for about a week, and I'm happy to report that he's now home. Uh, He's not quite out of the woods yet, but I'm just happy that he's home. And for everyone who sent me positive vibes and kept me in your prayers, I wanted to say thank you. I got a new Patreon this month, so I wanted to thank Christopher for joining Historically Haunted's Patreon page. Your support helps me keep up podcast fees and gives me even more motivation to keep this show going. Your thank you card and stickers are on the way, so I hope it gets to your house soon. If you would like to become a Patreon of Historically Haunted, receive a thank you card with logo stickers, and get some fun bonus episodes each month, then the link to my Patreon page is down below. I wanted to announce that I have reached over 35,000 downloads. I am so stoked about that number. I never thought I would get this far, so thank you guys all so much for listening. I wanted to talk about something positive before we begin. Well, not that my show is not positive, but our lovely listener Angie sent me over a email telling me that the Enchanted Forest announced that they can stay afloat thanks to the donations that came into their GoFundMe page. A few episodes back, I talked about how the Enchanted Forest was hit hard during the pandemic, and I talked about ways to help. So I was really happy when Angie sent over that great email with the wonderful response from the owner himself saying how happy he was that the Enchanted Forest was pretty much saved. So I really hope that this is the end of a really bad year. I hope 2021 is going to be awesome and just... Uh, We just need something good, and I felt like that was a really positive thing to come out of this horrible, horrible year. So I just wanted to share all that with you, and also I wanted to thank Angie so much for sending me that email. All right, so let's get this episode started. Like I said at the top of the show, this is my second Christmas episode. Last year, I did a brief history of Christmas, but there was one element I didn't talk much about, and that was the old tradition of telling ghost stories. I wanted to do a deeper dive into the history of the creepier aspects of Christmas and then finish it off with some listener ghost stories. So let's get ready to discover that Christmas can be just as creepy as Halloween, but we can't forget to start this episode off with, of course, our monstrous moment. Stories of encounters from strange beasts lurking deep in the forests, on snowy mountaintops, and in dark caves have been told throughout the generations, turning to legend. But what if I told you that many of these creatures are still spotted today? I call these monstrous moments, and I invite you to listen to this week's monstrous encounter. For many countries in Europe, having an anti-Santa that came for naughty children was the norm. 
These were usually described as Santa Claus's evil partners who would go house to house to punish the naughty children, while jolly old St. Nicholas would come and reward the good children with sweets and presents. These were not just ordinary men that came to do the punishing either. These were horrific beasts like Krampus, the half-goat, half-demon with one cloven hoof, a tail, and a long red tongue. Krampus would beat naughty kids with a switch that he carried and then stuff the worst kids of all into his sack and then carry them down to hell. Krampus came to us from early Nordic pagan folklore and has been a staple for children to watch out for in many parts of Germany. The children in France have to look out for Hans Trapp, a man who was killed by God with a lightning bolt in the 15th century. He was killed because he turned into a raging cannibal after getting punished by the Pope for doing black magic. Now it is said that Hans Trapp shows up before Christmas trying to attack and eat naughty children. Growing up in America, we never truly had an anti-Santa Claus. The only bad thing Santa ever does in our version is he brings us a lump of coal instead of gifts if we're bad. I have to admit that the lump of coal threat was almost never dished out by any parent that I've ever met. But if you told me some crazy goat man would come on Christmas Eve and drag me off to hell, I definitely would have done some things differently growing up. Other countries have other horrifying monsters, but for our monsters moment, I wanted to talk about Iceland's anti-Santa Claus, the Yule Cat. And if you're thinking of a warm and fuzzy kitty, uh, you're going to be sadly mistaken. I actually, in the intro to this, I made a sound bit that made me think of what a Yule Cat attack would sound like, and this cat was definitely something to be feared. The Yule Cat actually just made an appearance this month in the movie titled The Christmas Chronicles 2 on Netflix. I already was doing my research on this cat before knowing it was even in the movie, and I still haven't seen the movie yet. I'm going to watch it in a few days. But my mom said that there was a giant cat that was attacking Santa, and she did not understand why a giant cat was in a Christmas movie. And I looked at her, and I was like, you mean the Yule Cat from Icelandic folklore? <laughs> After I had told her all about it, she was like, okay, now that makes sense. If you've watched this movie and thought to yourself, what the heck is a Yule cat and what is it doing in a Christmas movie? Then never fear, I am here to tell you all about it. The Icelandic name for this cat is a name that I cannot pronounce but I'm going to try my best thanks to Google Translate and listening to a bunch of videos on YouTube, the Yolakaturin. And I heard it said a couple different ways on YouTube so that made it harder for me to pronounce it correctly but I gave it my best. So the other word for this is the word that I can actually say that is called the Yule Cat. The first written mention of the Yule Cat was from the book titled Legends of Iceland, published in the 19th century. But historians have discovered that the story of the Yule Cat has been told orally for centuries. The legend of the Yule Cat is as follows. The Yule Cat is a giant cat the size of a house with glowing amber eyes. He stalks the frozen winter landscape on Christmas Eve. He is on the hunt for children who have not gotten new clothes by Christmas. He will peer into homes, checking on people to make sure that they have new clothing. If they don't have new clothes, the Yule Cat will break into the home, eat your Christmas feast right in front of you, and then turn and eat you for dessert. In some versions of this tale, the Yule Cat attacks men, women, and children, and he especially doesn't like it when people hang out on snowy mountaintops and don't have new clothing. The Yule Cat comes from Icelandic folklore out of the 13th century. The cat was believed to be the pet of the feared giantess named Grilla. 
Grilla was also the mother of the Yule Lads. The Yule Lads were said to be trolls who came down from the mountainside during the winter solstice. In some versions of the Yule Lad legend, they would come to give gifts to the well-behaved children, but in the other legends, the Yule Lads would just come down to wreak havoc on the humans during the holidays. They would play tricks on people and mess with families in their homes. They also would scare children for fun and kidnap the children who cried too much. They would do this by stuffing them in a sack and taking them back up the mountain to feed on them with their mother Grilla. Sounds a lot like Krampus if you ask me, in a way. I find it fascinating that so many cultures had this idea of something evil that would come for naughty children around the winter solstice. Now, the something like the Yule Cat might sound like a strange scare tactic, but to the Icelandic people, especially during the Dark Ages, selling wool products was super important for the economy, and having new wool clothing was vital for people to survive the harsh winters. Farmers and sheep herders worked hard all summer and fall to make sure that they had enough food and wool for the winter. Wool was so important that people were normally paid in wool. During the darkening fall season, families would all work together in one home around a fire to knit wool products. People who were lazy and did not make enough wool product or have enough food saved up often starved and froze to death or be eaten by the Yule Cat. Hard workers in the fields would be rewarded with new clothes by Christmas to protect them from the Yule Cat's wrath. Before Christmas, children were told this story to entice them to get their chores done quickly. Children that did get their chores done on time often would receive new clothes to protect them from the Yule Cat, and lazy children would be left to be eaten by him. This legend was also used as a way to teach the wealthy children to be generous and help others who were not as fortunate as they are. The fear of the Yule Cat would encourage wealthy families to make new clothing for the less fortunate so that they would not be eaten. Socks were an easy and cheap thing to make for lower class families that still feared the wrath of the cat, and they often gave each person a new pair of wool socks as a present. This tradition still happens in some homes today. Anyone remember getting socks for Christmas or do you still get socks for Christmas? Well, that tradition is actually connected to the idea of giving new clothes for Christmas. Today, it might seem like a lame gift, but back then it was seen as a way to not be eaten by a giant cat that stalked the night looking for people who were lazy to feed on. So some of you might get the idea of the legend, but some of you might be going, okay, but why the cat? Well, it turns out Iceland has always been more of a cat country over a dog country. While yes, working dogs have always been around in Iceland, cats were thought of as good luck, clean, and loyal pets. They also helped keep mice out of barns and homes, and dogs were even banned from the capital city from 1924 until 1984. In Icelandic and Nordic mythology, the goddess of love, Freya, would travel across the sky in a decorated wagon that was pulled by two large flying cats. The Norwegian forest cats are big and fluffy kitties who can handle the snow and ice. They also were loyal pets to many Icelandic families. However, they also used cats as something to be feared, just like the Yule Cat. Iceland also has the legend of the Wasteland Cat. The Wasteland Cat was a cat that was said to bury itself under the snow and rock in a graveyard. And when it arose from the ground later on, it grew to the size of a large dog with hunger for human flesh. It would attack humans at random and its gaze of fiery red eyes could kill a man instantly. And to me, this sounds a lot like the cat version of the Black Shuck legend, which I talked about in one of my previous episodes. During Christmas time in 2018, the city of Reykjavik, 
and I hope I pronounced that right, but Reykjavik is a city in Iceland, and they put up a large statue of the Yule Cat. The Yule Cat was an interesting story, and I did not know anything about it until now. So just remember, if you get clothes for Christmas, don't groan and roll your eyes. Say thank you, because your family might have just saved your life from the Yule Cat. Did you know that rating and reviewing your favorite podcast shows on iTunes is one of the best ways to help others find the show? Also, sharing the podcast with your friends and family will help spread the word that Historically Haunted is out there and waiting to be listened to. Please go to my website, historicallyhaunted.net, for more ways to support the show, like links to my Patreon page and more. Today, Christmas is full of warm and fuzzy feelings with Hallmark movies, cute decorations, and happy holiday parties. But for thousands of years, Christmas was a time of year to gather around a big fire and tell scary ghost stories. Let's look at the creepy holiday traditions and find out where these traditions came from and how they died out. Christmas can be just as creepy as Halloween. Today, Christmas is widely thought of as a Christian holiday celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ. But before Christians created Christmas, the winter solstice was already celebrated by many cultures. Many European countries largely followed the pagan religion. Paganism and solstice celebrations predate Christianity and Jesus. Thousands of years ago, pagans feared winter because the harsh snow could easily bring on famine and death. During the fall months, they worked hard to save up as much food and warm wool as possible to stock up for the harsh winter ahead. They celebrated the end of harvest season by practicing the holiday saw win. We call this Halloween today. To celebrate, they had a party around a big bonfire and hoped for a good winter. The pagans also celebrated the last few days of darkness in the winter solstice holiday. This was a celebration that took place on or around December 21st. It was the day that the earth would start to tilt back to allow more sunlight and shorter nights. This was a time to be celebrated because with the sun about to shine more often, it usually meant that the worst of winter was over. Another name for this celebration is called Yule. Yule was often celebrated with families gathering together for large feasts, singing, dancing, and had a large fire to light up the night. Knowing that the Yule was coming to a close, many people started to think of the loved ones they had lost in previous years, and this would start up the conversation about the dead. This was also a time for people to tell many ghost stories. The stories told thousands of years ago were very different than what we would consider more of the Halloween tale today. I think these ghost stories are intense and really scary.
pagans believe that from the celebration of Samhain to the winter solstice, the veil between the living world and the world of the dead became very thin. Many people believe that during winter, the dead could visit our world more easily. This is something many pagans took as fact, so it is no wonder that during all the time of being indoors, many ghost stories were told. In Scandinavian countries, stories of Odin on his wild hunt were told around the campfire. In this story, Odin would ride on a dark winter sky on his eight-legged horse surrounded by a group of ruthless hunters. These hunters would pass over the frozen landscape, bringing howling winds and snow with them. The hunters were the lost souls that Odin would pick up along his ride. Terrifying hellhounds would lead the charge and sometimes fairies, valkyries, and even elves would join in on the hunt. Anyone caught outside during this hunt were in danger of being attacked and then forced to join the hunt for eternity. In some areas of Germany, stories of werewolves stalking the night searching for food to steal and men to eat were told around the fires. A terrifying story of the demon Krampus was told as well. Like I mentioned in our monstrous moment, in Iceland, stories like the Yule Cat coming to eat the lazy were told. And in Paris, people would tell scary stories of Hans Trap, while the Celts would tell scary stories of sprites and goblins coming to wreak havoc on the living. While these stories were told for thousands of years, they eventually phased out along with the idea of Christmas. Can you imagine a time with no Christmas? Well, this was a reality for many people during the 17th century. When the Puritans came to America, they made Christmas celebrations illegal. They did this because they did not want anyone celebrating something that wasn't explicitly from the Bible. And with this ban, many of the old world traditions from Europe died off. After the United States of America became a country, Christmas was not widely celebrated. To give you an idea of how much Americans didn't celebrate this day of goodwill and cheer, Christmas was used as a battle tactic by George Washington. He crossed the Delaware on Christmas so that his army could take the Hessian soldiers by surprise. In doing so, this won a crucial battle in the American Revolutionary War. Washington did this because he knew that the German soldiers would be relaxing and celebrating the holiday. Back in Europe, during the turn of the Industrial Revolution, Christmas was not yet considered a national holiday, which meant that many factories and shops kept people working even on Christmas. And as we all know from history, during the Industrial Revolution, people were not treated well at all who worked in these factories. Many of them were orphaned kids or children that were trying to help their starving families. So let's just say that there wasn't a whole lot of Christmas cheer going around during this time period. With the start of the Victorian era, many people began to crumble due to working so hard to keep up with the strict social norms of the era. Victorians began to look for an outlet to deal with all the stress and Christmas began to become the holiday they really needed. This first started to show up in the popularity of Victorian Christmas cards. These cards highlighted the fact that being creepy at Christmas was still deep in the holiday tradition. Now, I talked about this with my Patreons, so I don't want to cover it again, but I really wanted to bring this up, so I am going to cover this again. So if you're a Patreon, you might want to skip ahead a minute or two if you've already heard this, or you can listen to it again because I just had to share the Victorian Christmas card history with you guys too. And I am going to jump down a rabbit hole really quick because after I talked about those cards, I got to thinking, why are Victorian Christmas cards so creepy and downright bizarre? So I did a little research and found it fascinating and thought that you guys might want to hear it too. You can find all kinds of weird Christmas cards from the Victorian era, like frogs killing each other with swords, snowmen attacking humans with clubs, creepy snowmen, almost like zombies, ants at war with other ants, giant flies attacking people, 
red robins hanging from Christmas trees, Santa creepily staring into windows of people's homes, an emu attacking a screaming child, chicken people, and of course, Krampus. The list of weirdness goes on and on. Keep in mind that all of these cards have something happy with a hope you have a joyous Christmas attached to them. I don't know why, but zombie snowmen and murdering frogs don't exactly scream Christmas to me. Historians think that there are a few reasons for these strange cards. Dead animals were meant to remind people of the poor and hungry suffering on the streets. There were many tragic stories of children freezing to death during the Victorian England winters. Historians also think that the Victorians had a twisted sense of humor during this time. Due to the demanding social expectations brought on by the Victorian era, many men and women were pressured to live a very by-the-book lifestyle. Of course, women had the most rules to follow, or they would be shunned by the community and society alike. With all the stress of this life, the Victorians needed an outlet, and they found it in these macabre cards. These designs were also made to be conversation pieces, parlor art, and used in scrapbook collections. Thanks for going down that rabbit hole with me. I found the history of these cards fascinating. Sending Christmas cards to families sparked a new tradition, along with the interest of Christmas once again. What also helped make Christmas a trend again was Queen Victoria herself. While some people might have had a nice dinner with a few presents on Christmas, they did not go all out with the decorations like we do today. Queen Victoria was not the first royal to have a Christmas tree in the royal palace. That honor actually goes to Queen Charlotte, who was the German-born wife of King George III. But no one was as popular or influential as Queen Victoria. She was so popular that anything the queen did, the Victorians had to do it as well. If the queen had it in her palace, then that meant that they had to have it in their homes. This is what happened with the Christmas tree. A famous illustration of the queen and Prince Albert with her children surrounding the tree was published in 1848, and this started a Christmas decoration boom. Around the same time, companies were on the lookout for something new to commercialize, and Christmas was the next big thing on the list. Especially with the newfound success of sending Christmas cards, and now the queen herself made everyone scramble to get a tree and decorations in their homes. The holidays just fell into their lap. Along with this newfound interest in Christmas, some old traditions came back as well, like telling ghost stories. In 1843, Charles Dickens wrote the now-famous book titled A Christmas Carol, and this helped pave the way for some of the old ghost story traditions to come back into the living rooms. Americans were a bit slow to get with the holiday spirit, but by the 19th century, Americans started to celebrate Christmas once again. In the early 1800s, Americans were still really creeped out by the idea of Christmas. They thought that Santa Claus was a creepy man who broke into people's homes on Christmas Eve, and according to some accounts, some Americans even thought he was demonic. And I think that has to do with the idea of Krampus. I think they got those two things mixed up. And Americans still had a very Puritan thought process to their background. But something that helped change the minds of many Americans was the famous poem now titled Twas the Night Before Christmas. This poem came out in 1823 and was written by Clement Clark Moore. This was the first time Americans were reading about something that wasn't American, but yet it was written by an American. So this story got put into a lot of living rooms and it changed people's minds about St. Nicholas and how maybe he's a nice man who comes into homes, not someone breaking and entering. 
Americans were starting to open back up to the idea of Christmas once again thanks to this poem. Thomas Nast illustrated Santa giving gifts to Union troops during the Civil War in a magazine titled Harper's Weekly. This image was used as war propaganda by Lincoln, but for Americans, this was the first time they had seen an illustration of what Santa should look like. By the time the 19th century came around, Americans started to decorate their homes a lot like Queen Victoria. They would put up a tree and get ready for Santa Claus to come. However, the ghost stories never really came back in America like it did in Europe. It seemed like the book A Christmas Carol was the only scary story they dare tell during this holiday. Christmas finally became a national holiday in America in 1970. However, many states had already started to add Christmas to their official holiday list. Americans are also new to the idea of Krampus. This scary story was not widely known in the United States until 2004. Now, thanks to the internet, we know more and more about the old scary stories told at Christmas time and during the winter solstice. And many people are trying to bring back this old tradition, and that is what I wanted to do tonight. I hope you guys enjoyed the history of Christmas and the creepy stories that came with it. I only got a few stories this year, so I am just going to tell you guys something creepy that happened to me one time as well to add to it. But I wanted to say thank you to the listeners that did send me a true paranormal story. To get you more in the old world mood, pretend there's a nice fire going and a blizzard roaring outside. Our first listener story comes from Sarah. Sarah sent me this story and I thought it was really cool. I've always had an uneasy feeling ever since I was little about one room in particular in my childhood home. The cloak room under the stairs. We moved into that house when I was about six and my sister was about two. The cloak room was really small, just enough space for a toilet and sink, and it was windowless located just off the downstairs hallway. Despite the hall having lots of natural light, this room seemed to always be unnaturally dark. It was mainly used by visitors and occasionally by my family, although I always avoided using it and had a weird vibe from day one. I'm not sure if it was because I was too old by the time we moved in or if I wasn't as tuned into the paranormal as other kids, because I never actually saw anything in that room myself. My sister, however, who was only two years old at the time, she didn't like having to go into that room and she would start to cry. We didn't know why. As she got older, she seemed to get over it and we never found out what she saw. About five years later, my mom started to work, so she hired a nanny who would bring her own children to the house and look after us all together. Her little boy must have been about two to three years old at the time. This was when my suspicions about that room were confirmed. One day, her little boy went in the cloakroom to use the bathroom, and he started saying, Man! Man! and pointed to the top corner of the room above the sink. On more visits, he would continue to say the same thing. He was never scared. It was more of an, just an observation for him. For me, however, I remember this freaking me the heck out, and I never use that room again. When I was about 18 and still living at home, I had a cousin who was about three years old who would sometimes visit with her mom. She started mentioning a man in there too, and even pointed to the exact same corner of the ceiling as the little boy did years earlier. 
Again, she didn't seem scared. She was just pointing out that someone else was there. There was no way she would have known about this, and we never discussed this with anyone outside our immediate family. By the time she was about four or five, she stopped mentioning it, just like my sister did. My mom still lives in the house to this day. While she doesn't have small children visit anymore, she does have a small dog named Daisy. My mom doesn't let Daisy into that room and keeps the door closed. This doesn't stop Daisy, though, who will regularly sit and stare at the ceiling above the closed door for ages. We try and get her attention, but she just sits there transfixed. They say dogs are more in tune with the paranormal than humans, and I really do believe that. I am so glad I no longer live there, as I am in no doubt that something continues to lurk in the dark shadows of that creepy little room under the stairs. Oh my gosh, Sarah. Thank you so much for sending me that. That story actually creeps me out. And you are so right about children being sensitive. There is something about children being super sensitive to the paranormal. It's so weird. Scientists love to say that there are no such things as ghosts because we can't explain it. And yet I took a bunch of child psychology classes in college. And when I got to the advanced psychology course, we did a whole two week lesson on sensitivity in children and how to deal with it. And a lot of what the book said actually states that children are sensitive to energies around us. And some of the articles that we had to look up even talked about paranormal sensitivity. I just find it fascinating that when I took those child psychology courses, we were literally talking about the possibility that children can see things that adults can't. But then when you go into the hardcore science department, they're like, there's absolutely no such things as ghosts. Nothing ever can be proven that there are ghosts. Therefore, you must be seeing things. So I don't know where that line is drawn, if you will. I don't know what makes it like psychologists just know this, but then the uber, you know, stuck up scientists refuse to believe it. Yet psychologists are like, yeah, you can say that all you want, but we have proof that this actually happens. So I just find it so interesting that some scientists decide to ignore things that they don't think is evidence. And while other versions of science and psychology are like, yeah, you can pretend to ignore it, but we've seen proof of it existing. Thank you so much for sharing that story with me, Sarah. And oh my gosh, that would creep me out. I don't know. I don't know what I'd do if a kid pointed and said, you know, like, I see someone there or man, and then I turn around and there's nothing there. But like, uh, I just, I just got the chills just thinking about it. But I think that would be one of those moments where, like in a horror movie, you know how you can tell like that the person's blood ran cold and they got freaked out. That would definitely happen to me. And I don't blame you for not wanting to go in there to use the bathroom ever again, because I would probably do the same thing. Our next paranormal story, or shall I say stories, comes from Whitney. She sent me a few emails, so I'm going to use a big chunk of her email now, and then I'm going to save more for a later date because I have an idea about her next episode from something she sent me. After I read through her email, I think Whitney is quite the sensitive. These stories go throughout her life, and she told me that many of these experiences, she was not the only one involved. Other family members and friends saw the same thing. 
I was very young, maybe five or so, when I experienced my first sleep paralysis. I slept on the top bunk growing up, except for when I switched to the bottom bunk with my younger sister. I had a very terrifying image of a pack of wolves ascending the ladder to the top bunk. I could not move and I could not scream. They began to consume me. Luckily, it only felt like someone was tickling my sides where they had started eating. Another experience I had when I was much older in junior high. I looked over across the room at my shelf and I saw what looked like a goblin or pixie creature staring at me. It started advancing on me and I was unable to move because I was completely terrified. I was in junior high when I experienced the first poltergeist activity that I can remember. I was across the street at a friend's house. I was in an empty room while my friends were in another room. Out of nowhere, I had a toy flung at me from the closet. I looked all over and there was nothing in sight. I immediately left the room where this occurred and my friends had never left the other room that they were in. Still in junior high when this one happened, one night me and a friend of mine decided to mess with a homemade Ouija board. Two unsharpened pencils held end to end and asked questions to see if it would move or not. It actually worked. Soon after this, however, me and my sisters started to hear running up and down the stairs, tubbleware being moved in the kitchen, and pots and pans being messed with at all hours of the night. Not only this, my older sister and I had rooms right next to each other and would get upset with each other because we could hear the others playing music. When we would enter the room, there was no music to be heard. This occurred nightly for some time. I moved rooms to another level of our house and this turned out to be one of the most active rooms in the house where we believed that my grandmother's ghost would frequent. Stuff would fly off my shelves and dresser all the time. My grandmother suffered from dementia, and when it got worse, we had to take the car keys away from her. She swore no one would ever drive the car but her. After she passed away, my mom fixed up the car to give it to my younger sister. Not too much later, only about a month, the car suddenly blew up and was not fixable. While my grandmother was on hospice, I was sitting in my class in college when I got a sudden urge to write her a goodbye poem. That night was when she finally passed away. The night before my grandmother's funeral, I had a dream about her. She was in the corner of our kitchen and there was a creepy demonic figure right next to her. She did not speak. I made the symbol of the cross across my chest and I said in the name of the father, the son and the bells and I woke up right after. When we arrived at the graveyard, I told my mom about the strange dream and she told me to talk to my younger sister. Apparently, while I was dreaming, my younger sister was in the kitchen and heard loud footsteps in the same corner where I saw my grandmother in the dream. Once at her gravesite, I looked over at the graves next to hers and the name on the gravestone was Bells. The day we went to the funeral home for my grandmother to make arrangements, I was exhausted and fell asleep on the couch when I got home. I woke up and looked up and I swear I saw her standing at the top of the stairs. Now, she had trouble going up and down the stairs when she got older, but I am 100% sure that it was her and there was no one else in the house at that time. Fast forward a few months after her death and my older sister became pregnant with my nephew. They were monitoring him the entire pregnancy as it looked like there was something on his kidneys in the ultrasound. When she got her C-section, it turned out that it was her gallbladder that was showing in the picture. And that was the issue. Well, they removed it and they did a biopsy and it turned out that she had cancer and getting pregnant with my nephew saved her life. The cancer never spread anywhere else. After this, my older sister was putting my nephew down for a nap 
when he was young, and she suddenly got the intense smell of the brand of cigarettes that my grandmother smoked, as if she was directly above the crib watching over them both. I also had an experience when I was in my early 20s with my ex-boyfriend. I suddenly opened my eyes, and right in front of me in the doorway was a little girl. Her face was twisted and demonic, like with dark black eyes. I forced my eyes closed and opened them again, and the creature was gone. Thank you so much, Whitney, for sending me those very interesting paranormal experience you've had throughout your life. I find it so fascinating when someone has had so much paranormal activity almost follow them throughout life. I know other people personally that have also had this happen to them, so that is so interesting. I am sorry to hear about your grandmother, though, but it sounds kind of like maybe she was looking after you guys after she passed away. Maybe not so much when she was angry when she was suffering dementia, but maybe after she passed away, it seemed like she was trying to warn you also about the bells, whoever those people are. I'm also really interested in the fairy goblin creature that you saw. I've heard of other people seeing those as well, and that's just really very creepy, especially since it was just hanging out in your room. It sounds like your house, wherever you lived growing up, was either extremely haunted and you just dare I say lucked out. I know that might sound funny, but you had the lucky house, you know, the one that was the most haunted. Or since it seems like things were going on around you, it, you might be really sensitive and things might be picked up wherever you are. Just any remnants, they come to play. Like that happens to me a lot. I know that. I also think you are so brave for doing an impromptu Ouija board because I've heard of people doing that and I've never had the guts to do that. I've always wanted to play with one, but I'm terrified to actually try to use one. So again, thank you so much, Whitney, for sending me those great stories. And the second email you sent me, I promise I will be using in a different episode. I might either do another listener story in the spring with it, or I might incorporate it into another episode entirely. So again, thank you so much for the email. I really appreciate it. And I hope I did your cool paranormal activity stories justice. So to finish this episode off, I just wanted to tell you about something that once happened to me. So I used to work at a winery, and I'm not going to say the name for privacy reasons, but I used to work in a big warehouse that had a tasting room connected to it. The job I got was to work in the tasting room. So I ended up working at this job for two years, and when I first got there, everything was normal. I didn't sense anything, nothing was weird. That lasted only about three weeks. When I was new, they only had me working on the lighter days so I could get a feel for how everything worked, like the register, the wines, all that stuff. But after three weeks, they had me come in on my first Saturday to work, which is very busy. So there's a farmer's market that happens on the weekends during the late spring to about the harvest festival, which was in the fall. So a customer asked for a bunch of wine from the back and he wanted a full case, which is 12 bottles of wine. So I went to the back to load up the case for them. And there is a ginormous, like almost two story tall barn door that you can open to get into the warehouse from this back room that holds all of the wine. And I was just loading things up like usual. And the way I was looking was my, my face was facing the barn door as I'm reaching up into shelves to grab wine to put them in the boxes. 
the barn door was open about my arm's length, so it was a huge opening. I could see into the black of the warehouse. And as I'm putting a wine in the box, I see a man in blue jeans and a white shirt, like think early 1900s Farmer John look, go left to right. He went straight past the door as if he had a mission, man. He was going really fast. And he went right into the dark of the warehouse. And I, of course, froze. And I'm thinking, oh my God, someone's about to steal wine from the farmer's market, which is happening right on the other side of the wall. Now, where he went, there was really no way he could have looped back around because I went after him and there was really not an exit that was available for him that I couldn't have seen him go out of at that time because I went right after him. I looked around, I didn't see anything. I went and told my coworker, we looked around, didn't see anything. And of course, I'm totally embarrassed because I'm like, great, I'm new to this. I'm gonna be seen as like a weirdo who thinks someone's stealing wine when there was no one there. But then my coworker actually said, Lots of strange things happen here. I've never personally seen anything, but I've heard some strange stories. So a couple days later, I came back to work and probably on like a Wednesday and I went to my boss and I was like, hey, is there anything weird that happens here? And I told her what happened and she looked at me and she goes, okay, yes, there are a lot of paranormal experiences here and I think you saw the ghost. It turned out that the land the winery was on had a tragic accident that happened to it in the early 1900s. In the late 1800s to early 1900s, it was used as a walnut farm and orchard, and there was a tragic accident where a man got sucked into the machinery and his own daughter tried to save his life by pulling him out and she also got sucked into it, so they both tragically lost their lives. And it does corroborate the account that some of the men who worked at the winery have seen a woman in white walking around near the tanks in the back. So that was shocking knowledge to learn. And ever since then, lots of weird paranormal activity kept happening to me. And my boss even said once that it feels like ever since I showed up, the activity intensified because I am a sensitive and that just seems to happen around me. So a year went by and just little things here and there like tape guns missing, you know, wine uh, openers that I just had set down would move, just little things like that. But then one day, something crazy happened to me and it was the most interesting thing I'd ever experienced besides the paranormal activity I experienced while I was in Gettysburg. So one day we were reorganizing the tasting room and moving a bunch of stuff. And that's why honestly, I think this happened this day. Ever since we started rearranging that tasting room, weird stuff started to happen. They say that when you start rearranging things, it kicks up paranormal activity. Well, we hadn't redone the whole tasting room for a long time, well, at least since I was there. So this was a really big deal. We were shifting everything around. And the entire day we were experiencing weird paranormal activity. We were hearing footsteps down the hallway where there was no one. We experienced the front door open and close on its own as if somebody came in and out. And then the most interesting thing happened. So we had a customer come in and we hadn't had a customer all day. So we were really doting on her and she started to talking about ghosts on her own. And we started to bring up the fact that we've been having a lot of paranormal activity today. And the words barely came out of our mouth, something along the lines of, it's like something is trying to get our attention. And then we heard this boom from the kitchen and we go running in there and we found an entire jar of decanter beads had exploded. When we went in there, the beads were still bouncing around on the floor. And if you don't know what decanter beads are, think of them as little BB gun pellets almost, little silver metal balls that are used for wine. The decanter canister had somehow picked itself up off the top shelf because it was all the way in the back corner against the wall. I know because I put it there because we did a deep clean of the kitchen just the day before. 
It was as if the decanter beads had to have been picked up, levitated, not knocked off, anything that was in its way, and there was tons of other stuff up there. Big bottles for water crafts, that kind of thing. It had to be picked up, brought through all that junk, and dropped right into the metal sink for it to land right where it landed. A good few feet away from where it would have been. So if it would have fallen off of where it was, it would have not landed in the sink, in the side of the sink that it landed in. The beads were everywhere, and honestly, it was so loud. It sounded like glass breaking because it was metal on metal, but even louder than that. So, we all witnessed this, and the kitchen, we could see it from the tasting room where we're standing because there's a pass-through. So, we know for a fact there was no one in there, and it was the weirdest thing. I have never experienced something moving before. That was my first paranormal experience, like poltergeist activity, right, where something moves on its own. So that was a very strange and crazy day, and that was one of the most interesting paranormal experience I have had yet. About seven or eight months after that incident, I was in the restroom in the winery, and the door flew open as if somebody came inside the bathroom, and I was in a stall, and I heard shuffling, but I was looking through the crack in the stall door, and there was no one there. I heard footsteps in shuffling around and then it got really cold in there and then the noise just stopped and I got this creepy feeling like there was something in there and they were just staring at me even though I was in the stall but you know what I mean it was so weird so I came out and I told some people about my experience because I finally had to I had to get like brave enough to move I was like oh my god I don't want to move and finally I like washed my hands and got out of there heck of fast and then I told people about it and some of them were like oh it could have just been you know somebody opened the door on the way to throw in something maybe you just heard them walking down the hall blah 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 well about three or four weeks later my coworker had the same experience only this time every single person was outside there was no way there was anyone there because we had a special event that was right out front and I knew that there was no one else in the building at that time. And so did she, which is why she was really freaked out. So it's interesting when things happen to more than one person. I always find that so fascinating. Thank you guys all so much for listening to this Christmas episode. I hope that you guys had fun and learned a lot about Christmas history. Christmas is such a cool time of year. While Halloween is still always my favorite, I'm beginning to find out that Christmas can be just as creepy as Halloween. So thank you guys again so much for listening, and I hope that you guys have a wonderful holiday season. Don't forget to join me on the Facebook group page titled Historically Haunted. Make sure that you answer all the questions so that I can admit you. I've been getting a lot of uh, people who just wanted to be in the group and then they were like fake. I don't know if they're fake, but they're kind of like not real people, I think. And they were posting a lot of spam stuff and I was getting a lot of spam messages. So I made it so that way you have to answer the questions in order to get accepted onto the group page. Um, the rules, of course, be nice, you know, all that jazz, no hate speech, none of that, of course, and no spam stuff. But other than that, I really wanted to make this group page work and make it a place where we can post all kinds of funny paranormal memes, talk about our 
personal paranormal experiences and also get to know each other a little better and ask for help if we need it because 2020 has been a ride. And thanks for everyone who is interacting on the group page. It's quite fun to get to know you guys and find funny things to talk about. Don't forget to check out my website at historicallyhaunted.com if you'd like to learn a little more about me. Merchandise is still up in the air right now, but I am thinking of starting up a store in the new year. We'll see what happens. I lost a lot of money this year because I don't have a job right now because of the coronavirus, but I'm hopeful that 2021 will bring a new, you know, the vaccine, of course, and get this thing under control. And maybe by the springtime or summer, I'll be able to finally have enough money to start my own store. Anyway, in the meantime, make sure that you follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram so that way you can keep up to date on everything historically haunted. You can also check out my Patreon page in the link down below in the show notes. And as always, I hope that you guys stay healthy and safe and have a wonderful Christmas. I'll see you guys next time on Historically Haunted.